chapter number one, if you will. 1 Corinthians chapter number one. For uh, we're going to move along here now, starting in verse 17. And we're just going to camp in verse 17 this morning. Go, go until I'm done talking about it, and then we're going to move on after that, okay? Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 17. Uh, let's just uh, read here. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified under the Jews, a stumbling block, and under the Greeks, foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than man, men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, I read that section because now what Paul is going to do in the book is he's going to address the primary core issue problem at Corinth and subsequently within the church at large even today. When we think about where we have been the last couple studies and the divisions and the contentions, okay, and the reason for the divisions and the contentions, I mean, if you think about 30,000 different ideas out there that float around why is that well if you go back up there to verse 10 now i beseech you brethren by the name of our lord jesus christ that ye all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment so that issue there of the primary reason for divisions and contentions is we're not saying the same thing we're not thinking the same way and we're not having the same judgment, discernment about the details of life. And we looked through that exhaustively, and we saw that, that what was happening at Corinth really is happening today in the church around. When you look about you, what do you see? We're, we don't all say the same thing. We don't all speak. We don't all have the same thought process. We don't all, and so that creates divisions. And what we need to do is, uh, and again, the church at large, if you talk to anybody, get off the couch, go out, talk to people, okay? Turn the TV off. You can catch the highlights at ESPN. Just go talk. And you know what you find out real quickly that they, they're in verse 12. They're following Christ. They're following Cephas. They're following Apollos, i.e. John the Baptist in this case. And then some are following Paul as what he teaches. So the church at large, there's been a failure to acknowledge that there is only one source for revealed truth today in the age of grace. And that is the Apostle Paul, the, the truth revealed to and through the Apostle Paul. So the church as a whole has left. They've moved away from the authority of the Apostle Paul. 
and then they've, they've moved away from the, the authority, the message, the ministry that was entrusted to Paul. So when you do that, when you leave Paul, what do you leave? His message and ministry. So it's ironic that most people, most denominations will use 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 as their, you got to believe on Christ died for your sins and uh, uh, was buried and rose again the third day. But then you also have to do, and then they get into it, see. And again, that's what, what happened at Corinth, verse 12. Now, I, now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. And we looked at that. Those are four different doctrinal systems, not likability, not people, persons. The, Corinth, the Corinthians never met the Lord. They never met Peter. Okay, they have no way of saying that those guys were likable. They don't know, you know, the Lord's gone. Peter would never have come to them, the, the Corinthians. And yet, what so those four different doctrinal systems, they don't say the same thing. And when you look at what the Lord taught in his earthly ministry, you look at what Peter teaches in the Acts ministry, and then you go over and you look at what Paul taught about the same subject matter. That they don't say the same thing. The Lord tells that rich man, that rich young ruler, sell all you got and give it to the poor. Peter, sell all you got and give it to the poor. What does Paul say? Keep what you got and purpose in your heart and be a cheerful giver. That's different, see. So it depends on what mood you woke up in the morning and where you want to be, I guess, which one you want to pick. So clearly, when you want to follow Jesus Christ's earthly ministry, you want to follow the words of, Apollo, uh, the words of, of Peter, even Apollos, i.e., at this time in Acts 18, what is he? He's a follower, knows only John the Baptist's ministry, see? So now you're, going to go follow, now you're going to go predate Christ, and we're going to go back to the original uh, crier in the wilderness and in the spirit of Elijah, and we're going to pick up that, and we're all going to wear locusts and eat honey and, you know, wear girdled belts and all this stuff. You know, and it just gets, and you just spiral. If you're there, what, what's going to happen? Divisions and contentions. Because you cannot follow Matthew 5 and the Beatitudes and then go follow the book of Romans. It will not work. You're, you do not inherit the earth. Sorry. What do you inherit? The heavenly places. See, you can't do that. You can't be in both camps. You can't follow. You can't, they don't say the same thing. And the only way to reconcile what's going on is to rightly divide the word of truth. Again, truth from truth. It was once said, and I wrote this down, God himself has placed in his word dispensational markers and we have to go by those markers and apply those markers to the details of life. I thought that was a very, who, who divided up the book? God himself did. Actually, the Holy Spirit did when he wrote it, see. So when we come in there, and, and again, ultimately, what is the church doing here? They're picking and choosing. But what Paul's going to do is say, church, you don't have the liberty to pick and choose. You don't have the liberty, you don't have the right to decide which part of the system, which part of the scriptures you're going to believe and choose not to believe. Because God's not working. That's why verse 13, is Christ divided? See, that question isn't, 
we're all speaking the same thing. It's, hey, would Christ allow all four systems to be carrying on at one time? The answer is no. Why? Because the four systems create division and contention and confusion. They don't say the same thing. And that's really what Paul has been hammering home here. It's happening at Corinth. It's happening at the church at large. And again, when we rightly divide the truth, that is what sets you free from theological confusion that's out there. And again, in, in, that, in light of verse number 12, then what does Paul bring up? The issue of water baptism in verse 14, 15, and 16, and, and the end of verse 13 there. And the reason for that is, is that water baptism is the sacred cow to many. And it is the issue that was being used in the moment at Corinth to cause some of the divisions. Because what does Jesus say about water baptism? Is it optional or required? This is all review. Come on, it's required. What does Acts 2, what does Peter say? It's required. Actually, in Acts 10, when Peter's talking to Cornelius, he commands them to be water baptized. See? What would Apollos do in water baptism? Well, he's going to talk like John the Baptist. What did John the Baptist say? It's required. Paul says what? I thank God I didn't baptize any of you, and Christ sent me not to baptize. See? And then people go, well, well, but Paul baptized. Yeah, but there's a reason why he did that in the Acts ministry. That's Romans 11, 11, to provoke Israel to jealousy. And as we go along, we'll see that in the book here, see. So the issue here is, and again, Paul addresses it. He doesn't say that water baptism is critical. He doesn't say water baptism is needed. It's important. Actually, he says the opposite. It's unimportant. It's lost its significance. And you see that. He goes, verse 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I have baptized in my own name, and I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized, see, any of other. Paul, it's, it's not worth keeping a record. Now, does he baptize more than Crispus and Gaius and Stephanus? Well, sure, but again, what's he doing in Acts? You read in Romans 11, he's provoking, he's got a provoking side of the ministry. And we saw that as we went there. See, Paul, Again, Paul, Paul's statement, verse 17, this is where we're going to get now. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Now you think about that. That is such a, chain, a clear, radical departure from the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Acts ministry of Peter and the, and the little flock. Because what are they saying? You got to do it. You got to do it. You got to do it. Paul says, I wasn't sent to do that. I was sent to preach the gospel. I was sent to do something else. In Scripture, by the way, in Scripture, the reason for water baptism is for the remission of sins. John the Baptist said it. Peter says it. Now, when you go in the Old Testament, by the way, the Old Testament, the average daily Jewish believer was never water baptized. The only people in the Old Testament water baptized was the priesthood to signify who they are. Now, in the earthly ministry, what do we have? We have a dispensational shift 
Now what is the Lord doing? Now he's calling out that royal priesthood, that kingdom of priests now. So what do they have to be? Water baptized. See, there's a reason. But the reason behind water baptism is for the remission of sins and then to be identified as a part of that little flock. Acts or John 1, the Messiah is manifest to Israel. Acts 2, after verse 38, there's 3,000 of them get baptized, and what are, they're in that little flock, see. Never, ever, ever, ever is there a verse that says water baptism is an outward expression of an inward faith. That verse does not exist. You know what that's called? Verse 17 it's called wisdom of words. There's not a verse that says that walking the aisle is an outward expression of your inward faith or is an outward testimony of what that inward transformation. We've all heard that stuff. There's not a verse that says that. The closest verse to any of it is in the Gospels when he says, by their fruits you will know them. And he's not talking about justification unto eternal life in those verses. He's talking about their walk and identifying who the believer is. See. So when Paul gets going here, verse 17, water baptism, Paul says, is not a part of my message or ministry. Now that, again, contradicts the other three guys. So who do we follow? Well, we follow who Grandma taught us to follow. We were talking about Grandma, you know. We follow who, you know, the, that genealogy, who tells the best faith. Apollos, eloquent and eloquent man, powerful teacher. So people gravitate towards that, but what is he teaching? The wrong, the wrong message in the moment. So Paul, for the very first time, actually really one of the only times in his epistles, deals with water baptism, and you know what he says? It's not needed. It's not important. It's lost its significance. It's not for you and I today. But water baptism at Corinth is, the, is one of the issues that are causing the superficial issue that's causing the divisions and the contentions. The deeper issue is now what he's going to address from 17 to the end of chapter 4. And that's that issue of human wisdom. See, Paul says, I came to preach the gospel. So water baptism is not a part of Paul's good news. It's not a part of the gospel, okay? If you get water baptism, all you're doing is getting wet. And I know, again, water baptism, you want to start a fight, talk about sign gifts and water baptism, and the fight starts. Because what do pe people have been sucked into, or, or money, giving, I guess, too. But people get sucked into those crowds. And, and again, it's not... When we were in Romans 16 and we we're talking about Satan and the ministers of Satan and so forth, the men at the seminaries, I call them cemeteries, but seminaries aren't there to deliberately de de deceive the people. They're there in a legitimate, honest manner. It's the system that they're in that is the issue, see. Follow that? It's not the guy. The guy could be, a, I mean, Paul was a wonderful man when you get to know him, <laughs> okay? But at the same, it's not the, it's, but Satan uses what? Men uses systems. When we get down into verse 18 and following, we'll see the course of this world. He uses stuff to come in and to do. So water baptism, not a part of Paul's system of truth. That system of revelation given to 
him by the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, you know what they all say when Christ ascended, he quit speaking. Well, that isn't true, because who else did he just go talk to? To the Apostle Paul and gave him some words, see. By the way, when the Holy Ghost comes on him, that another comforter, John 14, John 16, who's, who's giving the comforter what to say? The Father and the Son, as they sit there on exile and they commit. So water baptism is not a part of the good news of the cross. Now, watch, he says, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. So what's going to happen? Verse 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. See the preaching of the cross, verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified under the Jews. So now what Paul's going to do is he's going to begin to stress that the, the cross of Calvary is going to, it should be the center of everything that we're thinking about doing, and it excludes water baptism. So the preaching of the cross is going to exclude what? Water baptism here specifically. And if you don't catch that, what begins to happen is, is you get drug over into thinking, well, it, it's an added on as an out, outward expression and so forth. And Paul's like, no, it's not. It's not the issue today. I meant to say as we begin, and I'll say it now because the video, I, if I sound like I'm angry or upset, I'm not. I'm trying to convey to you what Paul, the feeling of Paul here. Wait till we get to Galatians and I just start yelling at you for an hour because literally that's what he's doing in Galatians. I'm not upset with anybody. If I got an issue, I'll talk to you personally. Okay, but what you need to know, what I'm trying to convey to you is this is, this is a serious matter with Paul. Because when you go, man, and you begin to add and to, and to monkey around and use wisdom of words, what does verse 17 say you do? You make the impact, the cross of Christ, of what? None effect. See, you devalue the cross of Christ. You, 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 you take him and say, that's not enough. I've got to add to it, see. And that's the part of this that is not, no, 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 and no. <laughs> you don't do that, see. Paul says, I was sent to preach the gospel not with wisdom of words. And again, if you're preaching that you need to be water baptized, or if you're under the teaching ministry of someone who says you need to be water baptized, first of all, they're not teaching the word rightly divided. Secondly, they're using wisdom of words because the only way to get you into the baptismal is to not use Pauline sound doctrine because what did he just say in verse 17? I wasn't sent to do that. My message is something different than before. So for a believer to be water baptized, again, today, they're not, they're not following the word rightly divided and really, what are they following then? Wisdom of words. And they sound great, don't they? <laughs> you know, I, I got a list of them here, and you can help add to some of that, see. So, from here now, from verse 17 to the end of chapter 4, here's the core problem. Now, we're going to come back up and talk about wisdom of words here in just a second. Here's the core problem. Here's what the Corinthians were doing, i.e., here now is what the church at large today is doing. 
they will, they are valuing and aligning themselves with human wisdom, human viewpoint, wisdom of words. They, that's what the core fundamental problem at Corinth and the, chart, the church at large today is that issue of following wisdom of words, human viewpoint, human value, human thinking over God's wisdom, God's thinking, God's value. We, we've been taught, you know, we've been hammering away for years here about godliness, God likeness. That isn't that you look good on Sunday morning. I'm glad you dress and look good. Fine. Okay, that's the issue about being godlike in every detail of life, see. Godliness, his life shining out through you. And you get there not by keeping all this over here, but by following the word rightly divided. So for four chapters, think about that, a big section here of Corinthians. The next biggest is chapters 12, 13, and 14 about the sign gifts. Big section. So this is a critically important issue here. And again, that the tendency for many is to follow human viewpoint and human wisdom. And that's really the problematic core doctrine. Think about Corinth. Where are we in Corinth? We're in Greece. 2,000 years ago, who was in Greece? They call them the philosophers, the Greek philosophers, Aristotle. By the way, Athens is the primary city of Greece. Corinth is the second primary city of Greece. And they, they bragged about their philosophers. I was doing a, a little research in, as we were getting ready to study the book and to teach it. And you know how you can Google things today. I finally, anyway, the encyclopedias I don't have. I, do, I, I found a set. I, I, got, I need more. Because it's, you know, it's always got to have more, right? But the th Linda, no, 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 no. You know, four box of books moved into the garage, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. But uh, some, half of those are going to go away because I don't, I, they were part of the, anyway. That is, you Google it, and what do you get? Wikipedia has ten pages on, on Greece. Eight of them are about the philosophers. What's their big brag? Philosophy, philosopher. And what are the philosophers promoting? God's wisdom or human wisdom? Human wisdom. Human viewpoint. Actually, the philosophers, all of them, Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, all of them plagiarized the book of Ecclesiastes. You can find all the major thought in the book of Ecclesiastes. You know why? Who wrote Ecclesiastes? Solomon, the wisest man ever to walk the earth outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing new under the sun. Everything you think about, conspiracy theory-wise or just in a vain, deluded whatever, comes from the book of Ecclesiastes. All of them are. Plato's golden mean book. I can tell you, I go look. Ecclesiastes. And it's, what did they do? They just took it, plagiarized it, made it their own. What did they do in Romans 1? They took the glory of God and changed it into a corruptible, didn't they? What do they do? They just take it. So you have them, what are they, their big brag today. What do, what do they do today in the church? Same thing. They just use Christian celebrities to do it. Purpose-driven life. The prayer of Jabez, take you back a few years. The harbinger. 
what's the uh, Dan Brown books, uh, the Holy Grail, stuff like that. And a, by the way, cool reading. I enjoyed reading them. Nothing biblical in any of it, say. The Prayer of Jabez, you go back and read that chapter they quote. You read the whole context. He ain't talking to you and I. He's talking to the nation of Israel because they're about to get beat on. <laughs> they're about to lose, say. So the problem is, is that's what's going Same thing. They just different people, see. We're going to come over here and follow uh, Mr. Smiley, Joel Osteen, see. That, but they do. We're going to follow, um, you name them. You pick them. They're, they're why? They're, they gotta be, they're on TV. They got to be right. Joyce Meyer, that's the other one. No, because they're on TV, it doesn't make them right. What makes them right? What are they preaching and teaching, see? So, again, what human wisdom, that's where Corinth, Corinthians are headed. That's their core problem. We'll talk more about that here in just a second. The wisdom of words. What do the celebrities of Christianity usually say? Ask Jesus into your heart. Do you know that that is not gospel? That's not, there's not a verse that says that. Make him... Lord of your life. If he ain't Lord of your life, he ain't Lord at all. You know, Lordship, salvation, that, that's not scriptural. How about, you want to get to heaven? You got to stop sinning. How many of you are good at that as believers? So why is a believer who struggles with stop sinning, are you requiring a lost person to stop sinning to get that? When you can't even, see, it's wisdom of word. Here's the big one that I, just chaps me all the time. All roads lead back to God. Do they? No, they don't. See, give Jesus your heart. Why would he want your stinking, no good, dirty, rotten heart? Again, I'm, those are wisdom of, none of that is gospel. See, say the sinner's prayer. That's a big one. That's not gospel, folks. That's what Paul's getting at here. By the way, look at verse 21. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now, think about Mr. Calvin. What does Calvinism say? Before the foundation of the world, God preordained the elect, i.e., the saved people, and those who are going to die and go to hell. What an unloving God to do, say that. So, what do they say? So, if you're the elect, you're good to go as long as you keep A, B, C, D, whatever. But as soon as you mess up, then you really weren't one of the elect. Ha-ha, <laughs> fooled you. You're, okay? But look at what verse 20, and by the way, they use that, the sovereignty of God. You know that's not a biblical term? The idea is, but, the so, but look at verse 21. What pleased God? What pleases God? The pre, uh, no, read ver, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that what? What pleases God? To save those that believe the preaching of the cross. Those that what? Believe. See, not that he preordained before the world began to, that you're going to do. None of, what pleases God? That you believe the preaching of the cross and then come to the knowledge of the truth. See? Again, it just, bam, bam. And the reformers, I sat in a luncheon with Hank Hanegraaff as the main speaker. You know him, Bible answer man. And he was, it was, 
it, it was just unreal. Poor gospel presentation. Then in the Q&A, because he's the Bible answer man, a guy called him on the carpet about some of this stuff. And that poor guy that had the question, he asked, he asked the most legitimate question ever to ask of all of that, and that is, is the rapture real? Because verses say it's real. And oh, oh, Hank, he says, nope, those verses are spiritual metaphors about the future physical kingdom. And, and, and he's like, but that's not what that verse says. And he's like, well, what Bible are you using? And he's like, well, I'm using a King, King James. Oh, that's your problem. You need to use this one I'm promoting. And he had his ESV, Hank Hanegraaff Reform Bible, he was pushing. You know what that says in that book? It don't even say anything about the rapture. They yank it out, they rearrange it. You see, the thing is, is what is that? That is wisdom of words. Sounds good. You guys know who Larry King is? Larry King is a Jew, or was a Jew, and unsaved, probably lost on his way to hell, but he had heard the gospel from uh, the Graham, the Grams, both dad and son. He had heard the gospel in his interviews. So in the early 90s or late 90s, early 2000s, he's interviewing Joel Olstein. And he asked Joel Olstein, do you believe in the death, the, that the way to go to heaven is believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ? Joel, in his smile, says, well, we're not really sure. Really? You can go YouTube it. I'm paraphrasing, okay, because I don't remember every word. But go YouTube that. And Larry King looked at him and said, what? You don't believe that you can go to heaven by trusting in basically the cross of Christ? And he's like, yeah, we don't want to offend anyone. All roads lead back to God. And you know what O'Leary did? He jumped on it with all fours because that's what he's, every Christian that ever went on his show, he, he liked the rip. But that's the wisdom of words. See? Paul says, all of that, all that does is devalue the cross of Christ. Lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Paul says, you know what? I'm going to preach the gospel. And when I'm preaching the gospel, you know what we're going to do? We're going to maintain the ugliness of the cross. We're going to maintain the violence of the cross. We're going to maintain the offense of the cross. We're not going to sugarcoat it. We're not going to water it down with fancy little doodads. We're going to preach what the cross was all about. And you think about the ugliness, the violence of it. And if you begin to think about, we're going to make, we're not going to make the cross less offensive. See, we're not going to make the gospel more inclusive because it is already all inclusive. See, Paul says the only one who, again, Paul, he's the only one in scripture that says, well, verse 18, for the preaching of the cross. Verse 17, but to preach the gospel. What is that? The preaching of the cross. That's a Paul, Paulism we'll talk about next time, okay? You see, there, this, Paul, this Pauline phrase here, 
Paul's the only writer in Scripture that keeps talking about the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the cross, and the cross as a symbol of glory and honor. With all of its ugliness, with all of its offense, with all of its violence, and I'm not talking about just Mickey Mouse you know, stuff that we see, real violence, real ugliness that happened by, with the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross. By the way, all of it was at the hands of the Father. He starts, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Then he turns instantly and he says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And you go read Psalms 22, and you begin to see that at that moment, God was ma- the Father was making the Son to be sin. And all of that entails, he is literally in the hands of an angry God at that moment. And he took on your sin. And he took your place in the hands of an angry God. That's violence. He looked into that cup of the wrath of the indignation. Of, and he didn't, see, Paul says, we ain't, we ain't sugarcoating none of that. And if you do, you're devaluing the, the work of Christ at Calvary, the work of the cross. You see, there was some stuff going on there at Calvary where the Lord's being made, again, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he was made to be sin. Made, that word made. Originally not that way, now he's into something originally never intended to be. Why? You and I were made to be righteous. We were never righteous to begin with, and there's that spiritual issue there that's going on. In those dark hours, those three dark hours of Calvary, when the Lord comes in and contends with the adversary, and he fights for the souls of humanity, and he wins when he, hang, when he says it is finished. It isn't that it, it's, you know, he, he's got more to do. It's that violent activity, the war spiritually is done, never to be fought again. It's only been fought one time. He did it, accomplished, boom. Paul says, that's what we're preaching. We'll see next time when when the Lord talks about the cross, when Peter talks about the cross, and how it's completely different than how Paul talks about the cross. It's fascinating. These four guys get, these four groups, and they get in, and they start talking about the cross, and it's like, nah, only Paul sits here and says, you know what we're going to do? We're going to glory in the cross. Come over to Galatians 6. I was saving this for next time, but you just, yeah, uh-oh is right. Go, yeah, Galatians, huh? I'm not yelling. I'm getting a little excited. Sorry. Because what, is, what does religion do? They sugarcoat it down. What, they wipe it down. They make it less offensive, less all-inclusive. And it is all-inclusive because who did he die for? All of humanity. It's unto all. See, you don't need to say, well, you've got to have your little special corner. No, you got your corner. <laughs> That's why the that the song, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Why? It's nobody stands higher than I. Galatians 6, look at verse 14. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Look, where does Paul lay his glory? At the cross. Do you know where Peter does it in Acts 2? He says, by wicked hands you crucified, you murdered. You guys are a bunch of murderers. He does it in Acts 2. He does it in Acts 3. He does it in Acts 4. Stephen does it in Acts 7. And you, you guys are murderers. No glory here at all. 
The Lord says, hey, guys, I got to go die. And they go, not so. And Peter whips the sword out and says, ain't nobody taking you. Different view, different teaching. 1 Corinthians 1, what's Paul say? Dude, I'm here to preach the gospel. And the gospel is the preaching of the cross. And we are not messing with the value, the impact of it. We're coming hot and heavy right over the middle of the plate at about 70 miles an hour so you can hit it out of the ballpark. You've got to think about that. Paul, again, the first to, to be given the full scope, the full ramification, the full achievement of that ugly sacrifice on the cross. Paul's the one that's going to come in and, and not talk about the event, as in the physical event, but now he's going to come in and talk about the spiritual impact of that event. What does it mean for the world? See, How do you know, how, how did David understand that his, all his sins were forgiven? He didn't, in, back, in, back there when he did the stuff, how do you and I know that they were forgiven? It's Paul, Romans 4. It's Paul, Romans 3. As he gives you information and you look back and go, that's why Nathan would say to David, you're the man. You're the one that committed the sin, and you need to go do blah, 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 blah. And, oh, by the way, you're forgiven. He broke the law in two dastardly deeds, murder and adultery. Should have been killed, even the king. And God said, no, I got a future cross coming. You're good to go because you're obeying my word. So you don't know that without Paul. You know how I know that? Go back there and try to read it without un unlearn what you know in Paul in Romans 3, which you can't. Peter, or David never talks like, okay, great, I got the forgiveness of sins. Woohoo! Because Calvary's coming. Nah. Peter says, you know what? The prophets, when they wrote about the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, they looked into that. They, they were diligently searching that out. They never understood it. Paul comes in, full scope revealed. The wisdom of words. All the stuff of religion, it causes you to be a victim. It victimizes you, causes you to be of none effect. And what they use is wisdom of words. Now, look at verse 19, 1 Corinthians 1, 19. For it is written, I will what? Destroy the wisdom of the wise. Isn't that interesting? Verse 20. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? You see what's coming? How does God destroy? How does God render the wisdom of the world? How does he make foolish? How does he do that? By the preaching of the cross. By the preaching of the gospel. By the preaching of the truth. That's how he accomplishes that. And, and, you know, you think about the offense of the cross. All that, think about man's wisdom. What, what man's wisdom does what? Does it promote God or promote man? Promotes man. Sorry, guys, you're on this side of the room right today, okay? Now everybody will be over here, and that will be the lost side later, okay? You see, all that, what does man say? Give me something, I'll help you out with it. Let me help you, let me help you, let me help you. The best that man could ever produce fails eternally. Doesn't make it. The answer to our sin problem is the cross of Christ. What does man say? 
okay, we'll give you that part, but we have a part to play too. See? And Paul says, no, you don't. No, you don't. The wisdom of words will always promote man, his goodness, his participation. And you know what the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the cross does? It destroys what man thinks because ultimately what man thinks doesn't work. Rather, it devalues what God has accomplished through an innocent. It takes this monumental event and it says it's worthless because I have to play a part as well. What did Christ do? He's rescued humanity. He's offered a rescue line for those who can't do, those who fall short of the glory of God. You see, God in His love, He answered. <laughs> he gave an answer. Out of, I, mean, you know, I think about, I'm thinking about all what religion says out there. How can a loving God come in and, you know, be such a vengeful God? Because He is a loving God. That's how He can do it. God is a God of accountability, responsibility. He's been that way. How many, how many sins did it cost Adam and Eve to lose the garden? Just one. And it was not a big one, by the way. It wasn't a big one. It wasn't murder or any of that. It was just disobedience. It was just making a choice to follow their own wisdom rather than God's wisdom. But yet, what, did, what was the consequence of that one sin? They lost it all. Don't forget about the, the effect on humanity. I'm talking about just Adam and Eve in the moment. They lost everything. He's like, now what do I? Now I he, could you imagine? The Lord just said, you're going to know what you're going to do? You're going to work your bone. You're going to work till you die. And that field out there, because the you're going to have thistles and weeds. All those, and I think about that. You know, dandelions are beautiful when it's a field of dandelions. But what are they? But they're beautiful, aren't they? So think about pre-fall, and Adam's got a field of dandelions going, and they're beautiful, and the next day they're what? Weeds. It's like, whoa, ouch. And now i got to go out there in the sweat and all this stuff. And, you know, and he looks at Eve and says, what in the world did you do? And she goes, I didn't do it. You did it too. You know, and the rest, then the fight begins, you know, as they say. See, the thing is, is it only took, so what did God do? He says, I, that's okay. I have a plan, see. And that plan is, is that what you're, I'm going to fix your desperate need. And what you need is a Savior to do for you what you could never do on your own, Adam, man. Paul comes in and says, it's the cross. And it's in all of its violence, in all of its ugliness, in all of its, all of it. Again, we don't want to sugarcoat that. We don't want to romanticize the cross. Hollywood does a good job of that. We don't want to do that. Folks, it's brutal. Mark, in the evening on Wednesday night, we're about to start the brutality of it. You see, God 
poured out his brutality. Come over to Romans 8. Romans 8. On his son, he poured out the, the wrath, undiluted. He pours that out on his son so that you and I don't have to experience that brutality. And we're going to come over here and say, oh, just ask Jesus into your heart. La, da, da, da. No. Uh-uh. We've got to soften it down, Rick. Don't be so angry. I'm not angry. I get a little excited. I'm a little warmed up right now. You know. Yeah. But look at Romans 8. And just notice verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? The God here is the Father. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God? You see... What did the father do? He spared not his own son. He poured out the brutality of his wrath. For who? For you and I. By the way, Paul's the only writer in Scripture, all of Scripture, to say that right there. Come back to 1 Corinthians. So Paul here, he's just... It, we sometimes just kind of run through verse 17, and I'm trying to get you to not run through verse 17. You know, what the, you know what is offensive of the cross? Do you know what is offensive of the grace of God, the gospel, the gospel, the grace of God? Is you know what it says? You, man, humanity, you can't do anything. I did it all, and you have to trust me. Because what does the wisdom of man want to do? Give me something to do, preacher, and let me go. Well, you can wash the buildings and vacuum. I don't, okay. Take out the garbage. It's just right there. Paul, again, every chapter now in 1 Corinthians 1 to 4, he's going to answer this core, this core problem of them following the wisdom of, of, the, of words. The very issue that has caused Corinth, the Corinthian, the very issue that has caused the carnality at Corinth and causing them to leave the truth is that they're valuing the wisdom of words. They're valuing human wisdom. They're valuing human viewpoint. They're valuing man's frame of reference over God's frame of reference. Rather than coming and looking at things the way God would look at them, they're coming a different way. Now, look at chapter 2 and verse 1, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. Notice how Paul says, I came to you with what? Not with wisdom of words. I came to you with the truth. Verse 4, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And that's the problem. Their, their faith had begun to stand where? In the wisdom of men. Chapter 3, 
verse 18. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seem to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. You know what a fool is? Look at, notice, the, notice that verse carefully. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seem to be wise, where? In this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. The fool in the verse are those that believe what God says and what God's doing today. That's the fool. Because what does the wisdom of the world say? That is foolishness. Chapter 1, verse 18 and following. See. So what do they do? They water down the cross, don't they? Why do they water down the cross? They don't want to look like a fool. But what's the fool? The fool is the one following the word of God, rightly divided, see? They want to be accepted by culture. So they make the gospel culturally relevant. Have you guys heard of the relevant church? Started before COVID. COVID kicked it in its teeth a little bit. But you go back and look at the big boys, the mega churches. They're all about being relevant. I can pull up Barna and I can pull up Life, uh, Life Research or whoever they guys are. And you know what they are? They're all about being relevant. Do you right now? There's a big kick on giving and getting the younger people to give because the younger people aren't giving. And, they're, and you're going to do this program, and you're going to have this app, and you're going to have this code, and you're going to do it. And I'm sitting there going, just teach them the message, and they'll figure it out. But what do they want to be? Relevant. Big word. See? So to be a fool for Christ is to say, I'm going to believe what God's Word says in spite of my feelings or what I think or what anyone else is telling me to think, and I'm going to be completely dependent on what God says and what God's doing today. Verse 19, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. You know what the, you know what the Corinthians want to be? They want to be accepted. Think about that. They don't want to be, they don't want to look like a fool. Because, you know, only, only really nerdy people study their Bible for three hours on a Sunday, an hour and a half on a Sunday night, a couple hours on Wednesday night, and then during the week, you know, really nerdy people you know, do that. You know, we don't want to be the cool kids, right? What does Paul say? That's foolishness. You're following. The, if you preach the offense of the cross, it will not be embraced by the world. But unfortunately, it's, not, it's also not embraced by some of God's own people. They want to be inclusive. They want to mark it down. Now, I'm not talking about don't, not being offensive as in, in your talk and how you talk to people. We're talking about the message. See? I'm not talking about go out there and... <laughs> we had a guy one time, we went downtown Chicago passing out tracks, and this guy was a little belligerent. So one of the guys with us, he grabbed him right in the neck, and he says, you're going to hell, and you know, and... And it's like, eh, not that. That's not what we're talking about, okay? We're, we're talking about let's not water down the message, okay? Verse, uh, verse 19, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness of, with God, for it is written, he taketh the wise in his own craftiness. Come over to chapter 4. Look at verse 10. We are fools for Christ's sake. 
but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. All of that is sarcasm by Paul as he's concluding the section here with the Corinthians. And he says, you know what, guys? I'm going to be a fool for Christ. I'm going to believe what Christ says, what he's doing. And uh, Paul, again, was willing to suffer the fool to do what? To believe God. So in chapters 1 to 4, Paul's going to address that fundamental problem at Corinth. Come back to chapter 1 which is they're valuing human wisdom, wisdom of words, and that's resulting in the diluting of the effectiveness, the impact of the cross. And they're doing it so that they'll be accepted by culture around them. And Paul says, don't do that. That's the fundamental reason why there's divisions and contentions. It's because you've embraced human viewpoint, human wisdom. And rather, what you need to do is you need to understand who you are in Christ. You're an ambassador for Christ. He's going to tell them that in 2 Corinthians. He's going to come along and he's going to say, you know what, guys? You are a part of an eternal culture, a heavenly culture. And as an ambassador, what you're to be doing is to be preaching and promoting the heavenly culture, not assimilating into the culture about you. You're to come along, and what you're to be doing is you're to live, and you're to preach, and you're to be that ambassador, that representative of the heavenly culture, what, who we are. You see, folks, we're to live our identity. We're to live our lives in the identity of who we are in Christ and what are we. We're his ambassadors and we're part of a heavenly culture. We're citizens of, the, of heaven. See, we're not, I know you live here. I get that. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about out, what are you doing? Well, we're going to just have a big party. We're going to love everybody. No, you're not. Do you know you do more damage to people when you do that? When you, when you don't hold the truth to be the truth, and this is what we're going by, and we just come in here and group hug everybody, you do more damage than you would ever do in the group therapy, the group love. You know how you love somebody? You tell them the truth. You hold them accountable to the truth. That's how God loves you, tells you the truth. We are to remember they have forgotten, verse 17, for Christ sent me not to baptize but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. We're to remember our eternal glorious culture, and we're to tell that to the world, that all are invited to become citizens of a heavenly culture. And again, at Greece, they, at Corinth, they had great culture, politics, philosophy, theater, the games, all of that. They had great culture. Paul says, you've got a greater. And the gospel message is designed to impact and affect and clean up culture. Our job is to rescue people out of the culture of the world. Paul, in Galatians, he calls it the present evil world. P-E-W. What's that? Pew. We're trying to get them out of their own stinking pew and into the heavenly, see. 
so that they can become a part of what God's doing and what he's manifesting. And how we're going to do that is verse 18, by the preaching of the cross. The issue in the wisdom of the words is that they make the cross of Christ of none effect. So what are we going to do next time? Verse 18, the preaching of the cross. The church has moved toward the wisdom of the world, and they've moved that way so that they would be accepted in the culture about. That results in a diluting the message. That results in taking the integrity and the ugliness and the violence and the offense of the cross work and making it of no effect, of no impact. And we're not to do that. We're to hold, we're to maintain the integrity of the ugliness, the offense, the violence, the, all of it. Because in Paul's estimation, as we go down, you know, what, you know what is the center of all of it? The cross of Christ. Okay? So we'll pick up in verse 18 next time, because what begins to happen in the church at large today when we talk about the preaching of the cross, is the church says, well, really, everybody preaches the cross. Remember the four guys. Everybody. And we're going to see that that is just not the case next time. Okay? And we'll walk through, especially the Lord and Peter and and Paul. We'll see that, you know what? They don't preach the cross the same way at all. Okay? And I think that's critical that we do see that as we start verse 18. All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we just thank you for who we are in your son, for all spiritual blessings, for the completeness, for the acceptance, for the love that we have in you. In your name we pray. Amen.